Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And before we start the show, we'd like to bring your attention to some cool conferences we're going to be at in Europe. Specifically, NDC happening June 12th through the 16th in Oslo, Norway. All the usual suspects will be there. Hey, and they even let us in. But don't hold that against them. No. Well, this is their big show, Richard, the original NDC. Yeah, which we've been going to for like eight years. That's right. We don't know exactly what we'll be doing yet, but you can expect a great panel discussion. Yeah, and of course, we'll be in the fishbowl making some great .NET rock shows for your listening pleasure. So go to ndcoslo.com and register now. And for more great NDC conferences, go to ndcconferences.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, it's finally spring. Spring has sprung here. And, uh, well, it's May now that this comes out. But we're yep. doing a little time shifting, not too much. Not too much. Not too much. It's uh, It's been good. Hey, I got to tell you about an experience I had real quick. Yeah. Um, you remember a while back, one of the Better Know Frameworks was a way to connect directly from the HoloLens to your laptop and provide a better... Uh, experience of viewing the live mode. Uh, in other words, it, it cut down the delay if you go through your, essentially go through your Wi-Fi network. Right. This way you can get the delay down to about half a second. And it also um, says to use the HoloLens app, which is a Windows Store app, uh, and it works a lot better. And I was able to do a demo of HoloLens for a group of people here in town about 50, 60 people, by making the external monitor the only monitor. In other words, not having my laptop show the live mode, you know, the mixed reality mode, and a big TV, but just plugging into a TV and making that it, it was so fast. It was nice. so amazing. And people were amazed that, you know, they th first of all, they thought they had to look at the TV. And they thought, you know, where's the PC? And no, no, it's on your head. Well, how is it getting on the TV? Through Wi-Fi. Yeah, but, but, but it was, <laughs> it blew people's minds. Were you using wireless connectivity to that TV too? Yeah. No, oh, oh okay. no, 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 no. No, no, no. It was an HDMI cable directly okay. to the TV. But what's cool is that, uh, Windows anniversary, you know, Windows, right. Windows 10 anniversary mode, Windows 10 anniversary edition has this mobile hotspot feature. So I was connected to the internet via Wi-Fi and I made my PC a, a mobile hotspot and connected the HoloLens directly to that. Nice. So, and I was able to use Skype and YouTube and all of those things in the HoloLens using, you know, using the Wi-Fi connection. It's great. Nice. You had enough bandwidth. That's cool. So I actually got to put it to use, and it was a easy, breezy, peasy to set up. And uh, I would just like to encourage people. Maybe we'll post another link to it, uh, you know, in this show. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. How you doing? I'm. Things are good, man. Just plunk along here. Office is more or less back together. Been uh, working on some automation, swapping out some old drives because you know hard drives get old. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, got nothing to complain about. Nobody listening if I was. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, let's roll the music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude. What do you got? What I got is Redux Offline. Yeah, it's a persistent Redux store for reasonaboutable offline first applications. Basically, this is using uh, React, React Native, mm -hmm. and it's for an offline first strategy. So you, you know, maybe you're connecting to something that may be down, maybe up, whatever. Right. But if the offline first strategy says, if you're online, then do this. Otherwise, here's the default behavior. Right. And so this is an offline first architecture for progressive web apps and web, you know, using React Native. And this is the hard part about PWAs at this point, right? It's like, while you can stand to be disconnected and not have the app bar, you have to start up connected. So, I work around. Yep. Yep, exactly. And uh, it's new. It's relatively new. In fact, they say right there, uh, you know, it's a full disclosure. It's very new. If you find a bug, good job for being an early adopter. But if you find a problem, please submit it. So, there you go. Awesome. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? 
Uh, grab your comment off the show, 1419, the one we did with Michelle Bustamante back in February of 2017, talking about containers and service fabric and microservices and all that good stuff. Because, you know, oh yeah, Michelle's all about that. She's an architecture queen. Absolutely. And uh, Paul Spoon had this great comment. He said, my understanding of containers is that while they're a pretty neat tool for local development, the real business impact of containers is felt in the production environment. With containers eliminating the need for a complete guest operating system inside every application environment, physical resources are used much more efficiently. There are many good practices that you will be seemingly forced to adopt with containers, but you could already be doing these things with virtual machines. Yeah. So here's my question. If your business is already hosting its applications in a cloud service provider like AWS or Azure, you've already solved the problems of zero downtime blue-green deployments, and you're already utilizing infrastructure as code without containers, what would you gain by moving to containers? Yeah. It seems to me like container technology doesn't have much value if you're already fully hosted on cloud infrastructure since you don't own the physical hardware. Virtual machines in the cloud are effectively infinite from a business perspective. So what would be the motivator for a business to adopt containers? I could certainly see the appeal of containers for the cloud service providers themselves, but I struggle to see the value for a business that would justify the process of migrating from virtual machines to containers in the cloud. I'm going to put my IT hat on right now, Paul, mm. because it may make no difference to you as a developer, but for me, from an operations perspective, it makes a huge difference because I no longer have to update operating systems. Right. right. When you have a VM, you own the OS. That's a problem. That's cost and time and energy that needs to be maintained in each of those VMs. You get rid of that stuff. It's easier to do things with containers, right? They, you're just specifying the OS essentially as a hook. You don't own any of it. So overall, you have less of an attack service, less of a maintenance service. You're able to scale faster because containers light faster than VMs do any day of the week. And, uh, you know, it's easier to do large-scale testing. Like, a bunch of stuff gets simpler with containers. It, it's not a direct replacement for VMs by any stretch of the imagination. You have to do certain things. Right. But it certainly provides you with some substantial advantages. Yeah. So, Paul, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we're reading on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We've got a big offline cache. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I went there. All right, let's bring on our guest, Jeff Holland. Jeff is a program manager on the Azure team at Microsoft. He works on Azure Logic Apps, which is a serverless workflow and integration service in the cloud. You can follow Jeff on Twitter, at Jeff Holland. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Great to be here. Great to have you. Serverless is awesome. We like it. We like the simplicity of it, and we like the the richness of what you guys are doing in Azure to support it. Yeah, serverless everything is our philosophy. Uh, no, we're uh, we're excited about uh, kind of serverless technology and what it can enable for developers. Because uh, really, at our core, when I look at the Azure serverless offerings. Uh, which focus on kind of serverless compute and serverless workflow. Mm. Uh, we're trying to make it so that a developer can publish and build and get their applications into production uh, much faster than traditional methods. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of players on Azure, and some of these players are, um, you know, you can see sort of the progression of how serverless computing has happened on Azure. And maybe it, it's worth it to walk through the progression of offerings and, you know, how they overlap and how they complement each other. Agree. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's a lot of talk about serverless and even different groups define it differently. Uh, so I I kind of, I think a good way to understand what is serverless and why are we talking about it? Uh, even before I start, there's a spoiler alert that there are servers with serverless. Uh, we didn't invent <laughs> some magical way to run applications without servers. Uh, but it's serverless in that developers don't have to worry about them. Uh, so if you think of a scenario like, you know, someone has a web application that they want to host, you know, even 15, 20 years ago, and sometimes today, uh, you're like, hey, I'm going to do this myself, uh, yep. which means you have a bunch of questions you have to answer. Like, well, I've got to go buy a bunch of machines. What operating system do I install on them? How do I make sure that I'm, if a power outage occurs, that my website doesn't go down? Right. Uh, 
And if, you know, if I'm a retailer and I've got, you know, Black Friday sales that are coming up, I've got to buy enough machines so that on Black Friday I can hold the load, even though maybe on, you know, New Year's Day, I'm not going to get much load. Oh, by the uh, way, you're going to need a data center. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to yeah. live somewhere. By the way, yep. are you co-located so tons, somewhere? Tons of questions. And if I'm a developer, I'm like, look, I just want a website. Why are you making me do all this? Uh, right. So then we're lucky enough. And, you know, a few years ago, cloud starts to pick up and we're like, hey, we'll host your VMs for you. You just kind of say, you know, I want a new VM. It spins for a few seconds and it's like, here you go, uh, which was fantastic because I don't have to worry so much about, you know, power and hardware, but I still have to figure out, you know, what do I do with the OS? Uh, what do I do with patches? How do I make sure that this is secure? Yeah. What happens when you run out of disk space? Oh, yeah. Ex- yeah. I still have a bunch of questions. I'm still not just building my application. Uh, so kind of following the evolution, uh, the next big piece that I think uh, we got all excited about was PaaS. So platform as a service where in Azure, this is like Azure app services where it's, hey, you give us your code and we'll host it for you. We'll take care of the operating system. We'll take care of patching it and doing all of that stuff. Uh, so you just have to give us your website code, which again, now the number of questions I'm worried about went down a ton. But even with platform as a service, I still have to make decisions like, well, what tier of paths do I want, right? Do I need small? Do I need medium? Do I need large? And there's auto scaling and alerts that help with that. Um, but even then, it's like, if I have a, if I decide, you know what, I'm a real website, I want a large app service, and then no one comes to my website, I'm still paying some fixed cost every month, right. even though necessarily it's not getting utilized. And you also might uh, have a little more ceremony uh, associated with it than you were expecting, right? You know, a little, uh, some APIs you may have to implement, uh, some rules you have to follow, that kind of thing. Yep. Yep. So you've got to, you got to snap to the model and, you know, it takes you further. Uh, but there was still, we still saw another opportunity. Uh, and I think customers were asking for, uh, even a little bit nicer experience. And so that's really where serverless is coming in is that next click stop where it's like, Hey, you don't need to worry about anything as a developer except what is the core logic of your application. You go and write, you know, 20 lines of C Sharp or JavaScript or Python or whatever. You give that to us in the cloud. We will make sure it's highly available. We will dynamically scale it for you. And what's even better is that it's micro build so that you are only ever charged for the number of times that that code runs. So if I have two people come to my website, I'm charged less than a cent. The next day I have a million people come, it just scales up and makes sure that those million people are serviced and I get charged for those million people. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So you're really not demanding any infrastructure at all. You're just saying, hey, here's my chunk of code, run it for me. Yeah. And again, the the whole drive is, you know, you've got a new requirement, you've got to go do something. And especially the sweet spot with serverless, because again, as you move up the stack, there's the other side of the coin in that as you no longer have to worry about operating systems, you also no longer have any control over them. Right. Uh, so it's not the solution for everything, right? There's still times where it's like, look, I, I need access to the OS here. I need, I need that full control. I think that's where containers actually fit in great, uh, as Richard was talking about in terms of I can just make that hook to the OS, but I still have a, a better level of control. But if it's really like, you know, your your dev manager calls you up and he's like, hey, we're getting all of these orders uh, or pictures or something. And every time one of those comes in, I just need you to process it. I've got some job that, you know, traditionally, maybe I just have some background job that's processing this stuff. Well, that's a great candidate for serverless, because in that case, I really don't care about the operating system. I just want to solve this problem. Right. And serverless enables developers to solve those kinds of problems very quickly. So you've got... Um, services that are out there, existing services, you know, and then you have uh, web jobs, and now we've got Azure Functions, and we're going to be talking on May 23rd with uh, Yohai about uh, a deep dive into Azure Functions, but um, orchestration and management mm. of these things, y- you know, you can go to uh, Service Fabric, um, but at, in your uh, in your serverless offering, the the workflow piece of this is really about um, Azure Logic Apps, right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, 
the core offerings for Azure Serverless um, that really fit the model of you know consumption pricing, dynamic scale, and event-driven is Azure Functions, which is the, I'm going to go give my little bit of code um, to the cloud and have it run it on demand. That's you know, C Sharp, Python, whatever, yep. built on top of the, the WebJobs SDK. Uh, but then also, which is an offering that uh, I believe, I'm biased, obviously, uh, I believe is less known, which is Azure Logic Apps. And that's that workflow piece, uh, because often what you'll see with serverless applications is, hey, I, you know, I don't want just one thing to run. I need to orchestrate and coordinate a bunch of things to run. Uh, so, you know, an example that I do often is, you know, someone tells you your task is I've got a spreadsheet here with a bunch of customers and I need you to go send an email to each of those customers. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't want to, I want to do, I don't want to do all that code of integrating with, you know, SMTP or email, converting from CSV to JSON or whatever. I don't want to do all that in a single function because then I'm, you know, just writing a monolith thing and I don't get the performance benefits. I want to break that up into nice pieces. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do have to solve this this whole process. Uh, so Logic Apps gives you that orchestration and workflow capabilities to say, you know, first do this step and then do this step and then do this step. And it, the, you can have like conditions and loops and all of that can be well defined. And again, it's totally serverless. So you can define it there and then it just runs on demand and scales to meet your needs. But the real secret sauce with Logic Apps um, that I think Azure uniquely provides in the serverless space is out-of-the-box connectors. Right. Uh, so if you haven't used Logic Apps before, there's over 125, and by the time this thing airs, it will probably be 135, because the list keeps growing, <laughs> of these APIs that you can just access out of the box. So give us a real-world example of, you know, just one of the bazillions of combinations of things you could possibly do. Well, my favorite one, uh, and it's my favorite because anyone listening to this right now uh, can go to uh, uh, the link in the show notes. It's aka.ms slash logic apps demo. Uh, but it's it's grabbing some data from a, a, an API source, which is Twitter. And I want to take that data from Twitter and I want to be able to visualize it in some way. Uh, and in, in my case, I love Power BI. Well, building that whole application serverless literally takes... The video that's posted through that link is 15 minutes, but five of it is just me talking. It takes 10 minutes to build wow. because you open up a Logic app. You say, I want to talk to Twitter. You type in your Twitter credentials and you say, okay. You say every time someone tweets on .NET Rocks or every time someone tweets on Azure. And as those tweets come in at real time, you can then process them in your workflow. So a few steps I love to add in is things like the Azure Cognitive Services, which are like machine learning and artificial intelligence as an API. Uh, so you can do cool things with the tweets like, you know what, grab the text of the tweet from the Twitter API and run it through cognitive services to pull out the sentiment. Like, I want to know, is this person happy or is this person sad? Nice. Yeah. And that, it, it's like a, a five second point and click, go talk to this system now. Wow. And then you can continue to integrate more and say, go publish this to Power BI, go run this through an Azure function, which maybe I have some categories that I'm looking out for. And you click save and you're done. And then you go to this Power BI dashboard and you watch it light up like a Christmas tree. As all these tweets are coming in, you're processing them, you're seeing the categories, you're seeing the sentiment. It's it's a, it's a simple use case. I know Twitter's a little bit of a hello world uh, type scenario, mm. but it, it's a good illustration of, look, I can start tapping in and extending these systems and APIs, whether it's Office or GitHub or Salesforce or SQL or whatever, and just have like when an event happens in one of those systems, go execute the serverless workflow for some pretty cool scenarios. It's the ultimate if this then that with with connectors. And and let me throw my IT hat on again as well because I really want to know where those Twitter credentials live because I like That's the idea of question. letting somebody use my app but they have no access to the credentials. That's right. So uh, behind the scenes, I think one of the great things about Logic Apps is that we do use uh, authentication kind of as a service and that I know as a yeah. developer, whenever I'm integrating with other systems, a huge chunk of that task is just like, how do I go get a token, right? Yeah, how do, right. What, what's your what's your flavor of OAuth thing? And yeah. how do I go grab that and renew it and make sure I have access? So that's taken care of fully for you for the platform. But we do also, right, those are your credentials. Um, so wherever possible, we always 
follow OAuth, so we never actually store your username and password. Yeah. Uh, we just grab your tokens. Uh, but then we're also using Azure Key Vault behind the scenes uh, so that any access tokens we have to any of the systems or APIs are all encrypted and stored uh, so that nobody can ever get access to them, even us. And you've got to you know, come in with your Azure credentials to go decrypt and use your token um, at, at, at runtime. And we talked about API management before, which is another Azure mm. service. It, does that come into play here? Do we even need that for, uh, for, for Logic Apps? It's a it's a nice segue, actually, in that because uh, while we do have, you know, I mentioned those 125 connectors, uh, often people are like, hey, I've got my own API. Uh, I have my own service that I also want to include in this workflow. Maybe it's not an Azure function. Maybe it's even some on-premises SOAP endpoint. Yeah, uh, And right. that's where our, our uh, integration with API management really shines in that actually, if you're in the designer, there's there's beautiful icons for all these services because icons are pretty. There's a <laughs> connector there that says Azure API management. And when you click it, it will actually go look at your Azure subscription and say, hey, I noticed that you have these own APIs yourself. Do you want to drop them in as a connector? And it gives you this first class experience where using the API definition and swagger, it actually knows, hey, here's the fields that you're going to generate. So you can call any of your own custom APIs or endpoints on premises or in the cloud as a step in your serverless workflow. I also like the API management side from the ability just to break out who's using what, how they're using it. Like you may want to do back billing inside of your organization, but either way, just having that granularity to know what's being used and where it's being used. Mm. Yeah, I only I only personally started going really deep in API management about a year ago. Uh, but honestly, my my personal belief, again, biased a little bit based on where I work, is that if you ever have an API that is in production, you need to have API management. Right. Because it just provides so much stuff out of the box in terms of security and visibility and a single spot to manage. Uh, and again, there's great integration there. The other interesting piece in terms of serverless too is API management also has great integration with functions and logic apps. And nice. that I might have a workflow behind the scenes that may be a logic app, but I don't want my developer to have to know this is a logic app and here's how you talk to a logic app. I just want them to talk to it like I would an API. So in API management, you can actually say, I want to add this logic app, but expose it as an API. And it gives it all the automatic documentation, all the security, all that stuff out of the box. So now I have an API in my catalog that says process and order. But whenever someone calls that API, really, they're just triggering the serverless workflow to go and run. Hmm. Hey, Jeff, give us one sec here to pay the bills. No worries. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard web and enterprise editions with high availability. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200-plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet of Stack Overflow fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. You get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. And I'm calling back to the show we did with Vishwas Lele back in November. Yep where he was talking about API management. I mean, the thing that it grabbed me, again, IT hat, is just being able to say, hey, if this one service calls this thing a thousand times in a minute, throttle him. Don't <laughs> throttle anybody else and let me know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful offering. And the other part, again, wearing an IT hat and on all these calls I'm on with customers or organizations, yeah, uh, kind of the pairing of, of Logic Apps Functions API management. One of the things that I always say is, hey, that's cool. That's awesome that you built this application in 10 minutes. 
but I've got to go manage this thing. Right? Yeah. I've got to go, like, what do I do with deployments here? Like, do I have to use this drag and drop designer? Like, I need to go productize this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that we're really excited about is support out of the box with Visual Studio uh, and Visual Studio tooling. Uh, so if you open up, you know, Visual Studio 2015 or 2017 today, and you go and you look at Cloud Explorer, you can see here's all the logic apps that I built, here's all the functions that I have. You can actually go and pull those down into Visual Studio as an Azure deployment template. Uh, so that magical kind of infrastructure as code, Azure resource management thing, all of your logic apps and your functions and API management can be transformed very easily into this automated deployment template. So if I had that, you know, Twitter to Power BI solution, and I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. It was a nice demo. But now I want to do a dev test in production environment. Maybe I need to do a different configuration in Japan than I would in West US. Mm. It really takes just a number of minutes in Visual Studio to say, download this as a deployment template. And then you can include it in your regular release processes, whether it's Octopus Deploy or Visual Studio Team Services. So you really can treat it. Uh, like you would code and manage it and deploy it and source control it in that way as well, even though it is this serverless workflow thing. One of the connectors that um, was interesting to me was the Microsoft Translator connector. How cool is that? It's like the Star Trek uh, coming to life here. If you get really fancy, all the, the all the cognitive servicey things, whether it's translator or computer vision, where you can say, look, I'm going to, uh, you know, another fun demo is I'm going to go drop a, a picture into my OneDrive. And I just want you to run it through computer vision to pull out all the text, Mm. tell me if there's any celebrities in the image, you know, whatever else. And it can go and process all that for you uh, very, very easily. So uh, yeah, all the the computer vision, the language understanding, translation, those are really fun connectors to play with because it just blows your mind that, whoa, I just, you know, I just injected intelligence into my my own service and API. You've got everything. You've got uh, Slack, Twilio, Vimeo, uh, webhooks, YouTube, and that's just the end of the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, when I talk about platform as a service, that's the thing that gets me is like, hey, here are these services you can experiment with if you're in the system in a fairly easy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there's some pretty cool stuff. And it, the other interesting part for for people who may uh, maybe not even necessarily be in Azure uh, right now, but are interested in poking around is that uh, Logic Apps, the platform, the serverless aspect in Azure actually has a, a software as a service offering in Microsoft Flow. Uh, so if you go to like flow.microsoft.com, there is a service by Microsoft, which is part of the Office suite. Anyone can sign up for a free account. Uh, but it's actually behind the scenes. Every time someone creates one of those flows, it's just creating a Logic App behind the scenes. But that also means that you get the same access to those connectors. You can get started really quickly. So if you're listening, you're like, this sounds interesting, but either I'm not in Azure, or I just want to start playing with stuff. Flow right. is a great place to start. You are just building a logic app. You don't get the stuff like the Visual Studio, the role-based access control, the integration with API management. But in terms of, hey, I want to do computer vision every time something's dropped into OneDrive, it's a great place to start. Nice. Well, again, you feel like you're just sort of doing this gluing thing. So I'm going to take that service and this service and that service. And now I just need to glue them together in some way. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of serverless, like as you, if you're familiar with serverless or as you understand more, you know, trying to figure out what are the great use cases for serverless. uh, I think one of the core ones that everyone who's been playing with with serverless technology in one way or the other is kind of the glue stuff, right? Uh, I'm dropping something in storage. I need to go resize the image and stick it in SQL or whatever. Right. Uh, those kind of glue type scenarios are, are very common. And I think that's where Azure kind of stands out in, hey, you're already gluing these services together. Why don't we do a bunch of the work for you and just let you drop in these connectors in the middle of this process? Yeah, just to, just to add all the pieces together. And again, it's like, I uh, can't emphasize Azure Key Vault enough or as you bring in each one of those services, you know where their credentials live. It knows how to do a login. So none of that has to be exposed to your users or sitting in your code. Yeah, that's right. And, and the same with the data as well. I mean, we, uh, we're we working with customers who are doing things like uh, transactions, right? It's like whenever customers place an order, I need to run the serverless workflow. There's a few things in mind there. One is we, we very much care about security. So everything right. is encrypted in transit and at rest. 
but the other part is we very much care about reliability. So I think one of the common questions we get is, you know, hey, I know, I know you've already spoiled the ending. There are servers behind the scenes. What if I have some workflow that's processing an order and the VM that this thing is running on has a hiccup or reboots or does that kind of stuff, um, which is an understandable question. And the exciting part about the technology that's powering logic apps uh, specifically is that it is very, very resilient in that case and that we're snapshotting state at all of these different standpoints. We're making sure that we have like transient failure handling. So we'll do retry policies. We've got exception handling, oh. all of those things to make sure that things finish where they started uh, or finish successfully. That's all there. So as far as I know, and I've, I even asked our dev architect about a week ago, I have yet to see we have ever started a logic app run that did not eventually finish uh, right. just because of the way the architecture set up. So you can feel assured that even if that VM has a hiccup, we've mm. got this distributed in so many ways that, that wow. we'll pick it up and finish it when we, uh, when we can. By chance, are you using poly for retry policies? Uh, we've got a, so it's a great question and this is getting a little bit in the weeds, but uh, yeah. <laughs> where logic apps kind of came from and, and I guess a testament to the power and what you can trust logic apps with is a number of years ago when Azure was actually creating their resource manager so that, you know, deployment templates and deploying things, the stuff that the whole new portal is based on. In order to build that, they had to build this orchestration service, right? Because when I go and build a, or when I tell Azure I want a VM, there's 20 different things that have to happen. Mm-hmm. I've got to go provision a Hyper-V instance. I need to set up a VNet. I need to do all of these different things. So Microsoft worked a few years ago to build this Azure resource management engine that has retry policies that make sure that whenever someone tells me they want a VM, I want that VM to end up being successful. Right. Uh, so they've they kind of built this custom IP to do that. That cool. has evolved, and that is the same engine that powers your logic app orchestrations. Wow, so great. that same engine that processes billions of Azure deployments every day, that's the same thing that's making sure that function A can call function B, can call Twitter. Uh, so it's a it's a very it's a very powerful piece of orchestration technology uh, that we are excited to surface in another way in the form of these workflows. That's fantastic. Hey, uh, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to run my Logic app to listen to all of the previous 1,438.NET rock shows we've done, and it counts up the number of times the guests has laughed at my joke. <laughs> all right, let's see what happens here. Oh, you know, I didn't know this, but apparently Logic app connectors can return a new data type called a double null. <laughs> How is that even possible? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. It just returned one. It just returned one. <laughs> I, I honestly, I had to bite my tongue on the first one because I was like, I don't want to give him one more thing. But the, the double null one got me. It got me on the double null. Well done. That's, <laughs> it's actually time to give away a experience <laughs> subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Jeff Baroque from... Oh, congratulations, Jeff. ...from Trabuco Canyon, California. Nice. His name's Ooh, Jeff, Clappers? so I really smart. Yeah, it's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club, Jeff uh, won a... D experience subscription from our friends at Developer Express. And hey, if you don't know what this fan club is all about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And Jeff, it's your turn now. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what do you think you would buy? You know, if I, if, 
if the HTC Vive would come out with the next generation, I really want to go all in because I, I've done some stuff with the HoloLens and I love it, but I haven't really experienced much with, with uh, virtual reality, like the full headset thing. Mm-hmm. I would want to go all out and just get, you know, whatever the 1080 NVIDIA chip, like just the massive machine and headset. But yeah. I'd want to wait until the generation two of the HTC Vive came out. Yeah. Uh, just because it's out so old now, it already feels like uh, there's got to be something right on the cusp. Right. Well, and, and same for the video cards too, right? The 1080s. Yeah, uh, that's true. Generation back. There's a new version of the Titan since you have five grand because the 1080 is only 800 bucks, man. Go get yourself a I Titan know. for fifteen hundred, and I think their new GL version is almost two thousand dollars. So, Ooh, uh, it would know, be incredible, you, though. I, I would yeah. love that. Yeah, and it's really a way. You know, you have two choices there. Not only can you do this amazing high resolution rendering twice for both eyes, but you can cook soup. Is <laughs> that that thing's hot? <laughs> Holy man! <laughs> have you have you done much with the virtual reality? Is it is is it is a, an exciting an experience? Is like the first time I wore a Hololens, I was I I gasped, like I was like this is incredible, uh, but yeah. I still have yet to try on an Oculus Rift or a Vive or or anything of that regard. I've done Oculus. I haven't done Vive, and I obviously have done Hololens, and uh, I love the Hololens best. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the augmented is a better experience. Yeah, I got sick on the uh, Oculus. Uh, maybe. you know that's my no, fear. I, just... I get very bad, like seasick, all that stuff, and I've 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 been like, I wonder if I'm going to get sick. Oh, you had the dev edition of the Oculus, which was the low frame rate. That's right. If I remember correctly? Yeah. Yep. I mean, one of the, the, that was the funny thing when the Oculus came out, right, was the production unit was more expensive than the dev unit. Mm. Everybody's like, well, what's this about? And it's like, well, because they now went to the custom hardware with a really high frame rate, mm-hmm. which is why you need these killer video cards, right? They're doing 90 frames a second on each eye. Wow. Wow. It's just a lot of horsepower. Yeah. yeah I've, I've got buddies in the gaming industry that are busy trying to make games that make sense in virtual reality. And the problem they say is like, you know, there's a big difference between the three foot experience of your monitor and the one inch experience of it being on your eye. Mm. Uh, And the big one is running. You know, in all these video games, you run at superhuman speeds, right? Like Mm. one of of my friends, you know, works on, uh, I guess I better not name it, but one of the top (laughs) tier shooting games. And he says, you know, you run at 30 miles an hour in that game. And when you put that right on your head, it's bad. It's just bad. The, the the problem I had was going from zero to 30 miles an hour with, you know, just the touch of a key. Yeah. It, your brain is not used to that. Nope. Yeah. It's not right. Not right <laughs> at all. So anyway, I guess I'll, uh, I'll spend the rest of my 5000 on some high-tech barf bags or something then if it, <laughs> if it comes to that. <laughs> just a big case of Dramamine. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Dramamine for all my friends. I'm stoned and in virtual reality. What more do you want? Yeah. I got to jump back into this because I am I am thinking about the deployment story, about the packaging story, just what how we rev these things because it I guess what what gets version numbers when you've got a logic app? Yeah, it's a good question. So I mean, the best case scenario is you're using the Visual Studio tools. You've got, you know, your workflow file. Uh, right. You can go and edit it, make changes, save, do branch, do whatever. But on top of that, uh, every time you make a change to your workflow, we save a version of it. We snapshot and we say, hey, you know, at this point you had SQL trigger to Oracle on-prem to SharePoint. Let's take that snapshot. If anyone goes and makes a change to that, we'll keep all the previous versions for you. Right. Uh, so, so often like when people are doing, you know, releasing new versions, they will deploy to new environments. But sometimes you go and do deploy something to production. It made it all the way to production and you're either testing in production as we tend to do more and more or just something didn't work the way you wanted. So you can easily just go back and say, you know what, go pop back the previous version and, and instantly pop it back at any time. Uh, so that's helpful. And then on top of it, if if you're not listening to a source, like maybe you are doing kind of the you're triggering from an HTTP request, uh, right. which is valuable for a number of things. Uh, the best thing you can do is actually stick it behind something like API management because then you could really have different, you know, API management can do this kind of versioning on top of anything uh, where you could have eight copies of that same logic app 
you're not being charged anything for having those logic apps because you're only being charged for what they run. And API management can help, you know, route or or round robin or do whatever else crazy pattern you want to do in terms of, look, this was my V1 workflow. Now I want to make it V2. Right. Uh, if you pair that with API management, it just kind of works. Well, and you may not have all your customers upgraded to the V1, the V2 client, right? So yeah, just being able exactly. to keep those different versions running. I, it just sort of hit me when you're saying that. It's like, you know, when I think about versioning an app in the cloud, it's the whole, you know, my servers are cattle thing and I shoot them. And, and you know, I basically build new ones and kill the old ones. But when you talk about a logic app, like, where is that? How do – there is no server now. So what, what does keeping two versions of that workflow running look like? Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, really, you can have if I open my subscription right now, I probably have, you know, 600 logic apps, but I'm only getting billed for the 30 of them that are running. Right. Uh, so obviously, you know, people keep their resource groups clean just so it's managed well. Yeah. Um, but you do you have the added flexibility of saying, you know, some people are like, look, I, I have a few customers who are in, you know, Africa, I want to make sure that I have a logic app close to them. But how do I scale it? You don't have to worry about it. It's like, look, go deploy a copy of your logic app to all of the regions, and you're only ever going to char- get charged for what you run. So you do kind of get this extra extra flexibility if you want. Um, and then on top of it, the whole, uh, I mean, we're, we've, we've loved all the progress that Azure has made in terms of the monitoring story, both with you know log analytics and Azure Monitor, because right. it does give a nice way on top of it where, Look, I might have 30 logic apps, but at least in one spot, I can see exactly what's running. How's my latency? Do I have any failures? You know, and so on. Okay. I've got to think part of the challenge with all these connectors, too, is how do I assemble the entire workflow of a failure? You called out to all these other Mm -hmm. systems. They also have their own logs. Like, is, is there any easy way to integrate that data? Yeah, it's a good question. So all we're seeing uh, is the request that we send out to the API and then what they give us back. And what they return, but we, right. Yeah, but we know the nice status codes. Like if they give mm-hmm. us a 400, we're like, oh, we know what that is. If they give us a 500, we do that too. Yep. Uh, so you can, do, you can do a number of different things. Uh, you can have what's called a scope inside of your Logic app, which lets you say, I need you to go execute these four things. And if any of those things fail, then the scope is marked as fail. So then I can say like, hey, whenever the scope is failed, I need to either go compensate or, you know, doing transactions in this workflow. You know, you're you're in the serverless architecture. You can't tell Salesforce, hey, don't actually create an account until I tell you to. As soon as you tell Salesforce to create an account, it runs off and does it. Hmm, Uh, so So you have to follow much more of these compensation patterns, but you do have the, you know, catching the exceptions and you can access all of the contents of that error response. So you could be as smart as saying, look, if Salesforce throws back an error to me, you know, if it's a 404 error, here's what I want to do. If the error text says that I don't have permission, then this is what I want to do. You can even knock off, you know, child processes. You can go kick off child workflows. So a common pattern we see is people will put something like a scope around their actions. And then if something fails, they go call another logic app, which goes and takes care of the error, maybe sends a text message or does whatever. Now, if it is a database, can you roll back a transaction? Uh, there's uh, unfortunately today the answer is is uh, no. The closest you can get to it is with Service Bus. So Azure Service Bus with with queues, uh, right. they have this notion of of peaking and peak lock. So you can say, hey, I want to go process this queue message, but it's not marked as complete until you mark it as complete later. Right. Uh, so that's another great pattern to have. And that I need to go do something. Let's let's peak lock this queue message. Go process everything. But if something fails, don't complete it. And that way you can go handle it that way. But like with our SQL connector, if you go tell SQL to go run a stored procedure, if you need to go undo it, you're going to have to go call some compensation stored procedure or go externalize your code into something that can hold that transaction state. Right. right. It's, it sounds to me like I would actually want to take all the database related stuff and make it a service that I would invoke that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they either all completed, they all fail, and we just yep. stay within that distributed transaction coordination phase. Yeah. But it is a tough challenge, right? Once you're in this yeah. kind of SaaS API world, right? How do I how do I integrate with Microsoft Teams and you know Stripe for payments and SQL? And so if something fails, I'm not doing something incorrectly. It's it's right. a it's it's an exciting challenge, I would say. Well, it is it is like I said, it's the compensating function. That compensating mm-hmm. function might just be sending you an email saying, "Hey, we wrote this and we failed. Enjoy." Right. 
Right. But at least, you know, I just don't like fit silent failures that we don't know yes. we made a mistake. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, you see that in modern e-commerce. The kind of e-commerce that makes me happy these days has that real sort of a distributed, cued feel where it's like, hey, we received your order. Just wanted you to know, right? That You should be clicking buy and that email arrives instantly. And then it's, we've checked how much inventory you have. And then we've checked your transaction and right. so forth. And when something fails, like the address was invalid or the transaction didn't go through or you're missing an item, there's a compensation opportunity there. Yep. And definitely serverless is a great use case for any of those kind of asynchronous processes where, you know, there's often services where I click submit, right? Like if I'm on MailChimp and I say, go send this email campaign, I don't want there to be a loading bar until all those, you know, hundreds of thousands of emails are sent. Yeah. I just want to know we're working on it. We'll yeah. let you know when it's done. Uh, and serverless right. is fantastic for that because you really can send that immediate response back and say, hey, we've got this. We've accepted it. It's all good. Go process everything. And if everything's all good, you send back kind of that, either it's an email or a text message or drop something in a queue to say, by the way, we're all good. Or maybe something messed up here. You know, either we took care of it or you need to go take some action. How difficult is it to manage all of these things when you've got 100, 200, 300 of them? Uh, you do have to you have to do some work to make sure it works well. Uh, but we have the tools that are there for you. It's something I think when I look forward into what what do we want to improve with Logic Apps in the coming months and, and year, uh, I think the whole, I have 100 Logic Apps, how do I make sure I understand what are all of those listening to? How are all of those running? Uh, making that just out of the box simple. Yeah. Uh, but today it is very possible if you use, as I mentioned, the Azure Monitor service, so what's great about Logic Apps is that anytime something happens in your workflow, either an action starts or an action fails, or we have to go retry something, we send off what are called diagnostics um, to the Azure Monitor service. So we send out, you know, if you have a workflow that has 20 actions, anytime that thing's run, there's probably going to be like 50 or 60 diagnostic logs that get sent. Mm -hmm. And you can even enrich those logs and say, maybe I want to append the order ID into these diagnostic logs. So if I need to correlate a single order, I have some of that information that I can go enrich those logs with. Uh, and then you can use services like Azure Log Analytics, which mm -hmm. is a part of the operation management suite to have a really nice either charts or dashboards, dashboards or yeah. even just be able to write a nice query like show me all of the workflows that are running right now. And it can just go look and index all those diagnostic logs and tell you something's here. Or generally what we see is some customer calls you and says, I placed an order. I never got, you know, I never got a confirmation you get that customer ID or that order ID, you paste it into that log analytics thing and it will go say, oh yeah, here's that order workflow. Here's where it ran. Here's all the inputs and the outputs and did we hit any failures type stuff. Yeah, one of the one of the byproducts of living in this world where, oh, this isn't working here, we can just decompose this into three or four more services mm -hmm. or functions is that uh, we have to get more and more whiteboards you know, <laughs> our whiteboards are getting bigger. We don't have enough walls. We're going to have to rent the next suite to, to house our whiteboards. I keep trying to convince our team that anyone who goes over like a million actions a week on Logic Apps, we should send them a HoloLens or something so they can yeah, nice. at least visualize all of their workflows in a single thing and just take up the entire wall yeah. of all the stuff that's running. Well, there you go. Virtual whiteboard. Yeah. Love it. What if yeah. everything was a whiteboard? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like a really terrible summer blockbuster right there. Uh, but <laughs> you, you know, the visualization piece of the relationship between all these different parts, I think, is is not a trivial... That's what you draw on the whiteboard. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. The first thing in, in your uh, you're building this social dashboard graphic was that workflow of here's the logic app calling to this and then to that and then to this. Like it, it's an important piece of the equation. Yeah, it's a uh, I think the devs that I respect the most on our teams are the one who figure out, you know, if you go into fine, I want these eight things to run in parallel. And when two of them are done, do this. And when two of them do that, they can declare all that in the workflow. And we've got developers who have to figure out how do we even render that, right? Like, what does that look like when you have all right. this stuff? Um, so, so yeah, it's both a, uh, it's something to think through. And then in our designer, since we do provide you that visual designer, uh, we've had to do a lot of work to make sure that we are correctly displaying, you know, what is the behavior of this workflow? Sure. Yeah. What, what is that line? What do those drawings actually look like? And, and mm. how do they, how do they help you understand what's going on? Cause there's, 
there's more than one way to connect them together as well. Yep. Much less the packaging of the billing and so forth. It seems to me like this is something I could take an existing app in the cloud, living in VMs, and just start peeling pieces of it off and building logic apps around parts of it. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the pattern that uh, we see the most customers adopt and I would recommend is with serverless in general, don't go jump in and say, stop everything, right? We're going right. to re-architect everything. It's, hey, I've got this thing running in VMs today, which, uh, you know, maybe it's just sending an email and doing something else. Why don't we see what would that look like as a logic app and a function Go start doing that and then slowly by slowly figuring out, you know, where does this really sing? Where does it not make as much sense? Uh, and then, you know, slowly you kind of find that nice spot where even something I, I know one of it's one of our more simple actions, but it has solved so many headaches for so many developers is there's a wait action. So you can say go wait for like a number of days or a number of hours. Wow. That's not a trivial thing to do is to, to say code, like, hey, yeah. five days after someone places an order, I want you to send an email. Uh, there's definitely ways to do it, but it's still like, you've got to go figure out, well, am I going to go like every day run a job that figures out what hasn't had emails sent or whatnot? Uh, and that's something that, you know, just in the middle of your workflow, you say, go wait for five days or go wait until this date. Um, right. and that's, it, it's awesome to just be able to say, I'm just going to go externalize that. Um, things like approvals and stuff too, like you can send, you can have actions in your workflow that wait for a signal back to continue. So the basic example is like, go send an email. But then the workflow actually pauses and waits until that person clicks approve or disapprove. And you can use that pattern for whatever. But that kind of stuff, that kind of like asynchronous processing, uh, those are great use cases where it's like, go see if maybe you can pull that out of code and just let serverless take care of those patterns for you. I also love the idea of just that safety that it never gets approved. So, you know, that you could have something in every one of these that says after 30 days, notify. This didn't happen. Yeah. Go escalate, right? Go tell right. either email and be like, hey, you haven't clicked approve. Uh, and again, having that whole state managed for you is, is uh, it simplifies things from a developer standpoint. Yeah. Very you, good. You keep stuff from getting lost. Well, is there anything we missed? There, there's some resources that you want to shout out to, right? For sure. I would, uh, yeah, if uh, the call, my, my one call to action on this would be, if this is the first time you're hearing about this or you've tried it out, or even I would say if you haven't tried out Logic Apps within the last six months, uh, because it, it is, uh, I, I really feel it's turned the corner. Yeah. Uh, check out the show notes. Uh, I mentioned the aka.ms slash Logic Apps demo for that kind of Twitter to Power BI one, which is just fun. It's just a fun demo. But we've got a bunch of other links in terms of, uh, I mentioned that send off an email blast thing. You can go build that too. Uh, just a fun kind of some things to say, hey, I've been hearing about the serverless thing. I've been hearing about these workflows. Uh, check it out. Give it a shot. And then if you have any questions or or, uh, or need anything, reach out to us. You can, you know, tweet me or send me an email and uh, more than happy to help. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thanks. It's been great talking to you. And this is all great stuff. And uh, I, I encourage everybody else to try it out as well. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...